Broadcasting from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. I'm your rock star host, David Strausser, and it's time for another turkey stuffed episode of Shark Bite Biz. And this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete chaos. I am a foodie. I love food. In fact, you know, Thanksgiving was just last week. I hope you all enjoyed it. And I can tell you, I was on vacation. I had a, I had a full week of just peace of mind, some R&R, all that stuff that I just desperately needed to be able to get away, get my head in the right space going into December, our busy month for my line of work. But I also thought with Thanksgiving just passing, Christmas and New Year's coming up shortly, that a discussion about food was more than appropriate. Food isn't just energy for your body. It's also a business. People were finding new things every day and mixing things that years ago would be thought of as impossible. Speaking of impossible, look at the vegan foods like the impossible meat, something that looks Taste cooks similar to traditional meat. I mean, it is amazing what they're doing. And in fact, I just read an article a few weeks ago where they are growing meat, real meat in laboratories. I mean, it's crazy. You know, they can grow a steak that is a true beef steak. I mean, this is really, this is really crazy to think of everything that's going on right now in the food industry, but that's exactly the point. It is an industry. It's got a robust R&D. And really, it comes out to a lot of these biohackers and food hackers to make all this stuff come together and really change the way that we live our lives so that we can be healthier. Today, I got one of the brightest minds in eating healthy and a true food hacker of finding healthier, more natural ways to consume food. You may see the t-shirt that I'm wearing right here. It says, uh, straight out of keto. I gotta tell you, it's probably one of my favorite shirts, and I must give a public shout-out to our guest today for sending me this awesome swag. I love it. So who is today's guest? None other than Tom King. Tom King is an entrepreneur, author, and self-described biohacker. Tom is the founder and CEO of Staviva Brands, Inc., one of the largest importers, manufacturers, and distributors of natural sweeteners. Despite being very successful, the classic definition of success lots of money, (laughs) is not what inspires and motivates Tom. His philosophy is, you aren't doing well unless you're doing good. Tom has built an impactful business based on his passion and continues to grow his business even during the current challenging climate. Tom has made it his life's work to study food science and use his knowledge to help people eat healthier, avoid harmful sugars, and maintain diet and exercise, habits that defeat metabolic disease. His extensive work is responsible for food manufacturers creating products that contain 50 to 90% fewer sugars, 
Tom's company, based in Portland, Oregon, derives its name from stevia, the South American plant extract that is calorie-free, yet 300 times sweeter than sugar, and does not contribute to the combination of metabolic diseases that Tom calls diabetes. So, without further to do, let's bring Mr. Guy Gone Keto Tom King right on in here. Small Biz Spotlight. Tom, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. So glad to have you here. Thanks, David. I appreciate you having me on. Um, I, it's it's an honor for me and a pleasure. And yeah, I can't wait to dig in. Oh, save here, save here. First off, you know, I got to say thank you for the T-shirt. Anybody out there, if you send me a T-shirt, this is proof. I will wear it. <laughs> <laughs> you straight out of ketosis. Good for you. Thank you. For, ketosis. <laughs> thank you for uh, thank you for wearing our uh, our t-shirt. I appreciate that. Oh, no problem. No problem at all. So, very first question, we got kind of yeah. like a tradition here. I know who you are. Obviously, you sent me a t-shirt and all this cool stuff. But for all of our viewers and listeners out there, do us a favor. Tell us who you are. How you got to where you are, oh. your background, your experience, what you do. Give us the 50,000-foot level overview of Tom King. The 50,000-foot overview. Okay. <laughs> and, and I'll start right at the beginning. Um, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My parents okay. moved out to my end, so I'm a diehard Green Bay Packers fan. I have to be. <laughs> that was a deal breaker, okay. wasn't it? Yeah, almost. <laughs> Might have to take this uh, shirt off. <laughs> well, well, then, um, yeah. So then my family moved to Colorado. Um, mm -hmm. So that makes me also a Denver Broncos fan. So, Ooh. which has been punishing this year. I mean, it's been tough. But um, so that's kind of where I grew up. I grew up on a ranch in Colorado. Um, you know, my family... Uh, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My dad owned a construction business and a ranching business. And before that, my grandfather owned an awning business. And mm -hmm. before that, my great, great grandfather owned a, another awning business. And my great, great, great grandfather owned a awning business that made the covers for covered wagons. So oh, wow. Wow. yeah, I'm like a I, fifth or three sixth. generations of awnings there. It's yeah. But a uh, fifth generation entrepreneur. So it's yeah. like, it's kind of in my blood. It's sort of how, you know, that's, it's my creative vent, if you will. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So anyway, I, you know, worked actually in the entertainment industry for, you know, for quite some time. And I ran into this guy, his name is Jim May. And he had just come back from Paraguay and he had this jar of leaves and he's like, Hey, you got to check this out. And I tasted it and it was probably 25 times sweeter than sugar. And wow. that's when a light bulb went off. I'm like, wow. Okay. So there's something in this leaf that doesn't have any calories. It doesn't have any carbs. And how do I unlock those sweet constituents? And right. Luckily, I had a job working in the entertainment industry where I was making some pretty decent money so I could continue to put money into research on how to be able to extract that. Um, so finally, I mean, it became a business for me after uh, 2000, I would say 2004. So I started it in 2001. By 2004, we were ready to start producing product. And then the FDA said, whoa, whoa, nope, you can't, you can't have... You can't have stevia as a sweetener. You have to sell it as a dietary supplement. So 
it was constantly hitting these roadblocks. And then, you know, finally in 2008, uh, one of our competitors called Cargill, their multi-billion dollar company was able to lobby the FDA to, to clear the path for stevia to be used as, um, as a, as a sweetener in foods. And that's when our business really started taking off. And I mean, we have stevia, but we took stevia and blended it with other compounds so we could be like a plug-in sweetening system or sweetening right. solution for um, for food manufacturers that were looking to target a low-carb or sugar-free diabetic or now what's super popular is the keto market. And so yeah, yeah. that business grew and grew and grew and sort of the way that I stumbled upon um, keto is that I was fat and I wanted to lose some weight and it didn't really work for me be carrying extra weight and, you know, suffering from, you know, a mild version of metabolic disease while I'm working with companies that are in the sports nutrition industry. So oh it, yeah, I, I felt like an imposter. I was like, okay, so I got super high blood pressure carrying around 35 pounds of extra weight. I'm not being my personal best, but yet I'm mingling with all these people. And I think that when I hit the wall, I was in Vegas for a trade show and I had one of our um, suppliers take me out to dinner and I had steak and potatoes and cake and wine. And I got back up to my, <laughs> up into my room at the Luxor, um, which was, you know, smelt like broken dreams and regret. And <laughs> I, I looked in the mirror and I'm like, whoa, I'm like, this isn't the person that I want to be. And so at that point in time, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to totally dedicate myself to, to a lifestyle change. And that I just started journaling it. I started writing it down. Like, what are the things that I need to do to change my life, you know, to get, you know, to get my weight under control, to get my blood pressure under control. And, you know, after a year of journaling, I basically had a book. And what was beautiful about that is that I, I you know, adopted a ketogenic lifestyle, but I found that I couldn't have ketchup. Like when you were talking about ketchup, mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, I love ketchup. And, you know, 23 grams per serving, it's has more sugar than ice cream. So right. you can have your hamburger with a scoop of ice cream or you can have your hamburger with some ketchup. So, yeah. you know, because I have a food, uh, food technology, food science background, I just went into our lab and I started making these products and, you know, and, and my team said, hey, we should start selling these. And we started selling them and the book helped promote it and voila. And here I am in this moment right now, right here. Yeah, that's an amazing, amazing story. <laughs> I think a lot of people, I mean, I can really relate to your story. I used to be maybe not 350, but maybe like 330-ish. And I've slimmed down to about 200. And wow. for me, it was a mix between low carb and keto. And, you know, I tried for years to lose weight. I mean, there is one point for six months, I would run mile, mile and a half every single morning. I was living in Tijuana at the time. I would run a mile, mile and a half before work every morning and then jump in my car, drive across the border to San Diego to work. And I still, I was not dropping a pound. In fact, I kept gaining weight and it kept pushing me up. And I started becoming ultra self-aware. It's like I look at myself. For me, it was kind of like I look at myself in a picture. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, that can't be me. Because 
when I looked at myself in a mirror, I don't know if I just had like, um, I don't know, some kind of Instagram filter trick, but I thought I was smaller than what I was. And then I see myself in the picture and it's like, oh my God, dude, you're huge. I yeah. hated looking at myself in, in pictures. <laughs> I mean, to this day, Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, they're my idols. I have a picture with them right there. Yeah. And I was probably around that weight and I barely show anybody because I was like 330 pounds when I took that picture. Now I post it up and I have it there as a remembrance of where I was and like, hey, be aware, lifestyle change. You don't want to be there again. So next time I get to meet Steven, you know, I can get the skinny picture for comparison. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why I love having people like you on the show, because you've got a great personal story you're talking about food which is something that impacts all of us and you're using science and technology to really allow people to eat healthier plus you have an awesome business behind it to support it so let's talk a little bit you know about starting up the business you've already said about the trials tribulations you went through with the fda what are some of the common mistakes you you've had or you think most people have when they're starting a business like yours? Yeah, that's those are really good questions. And I mean, mistakes like, you know, when somebody uses the word mistake, I think a lot of people come up, you know, what comes up for them is like mistake, mistakes suck. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, shit, I made a mistake. And now what? Well, I mean, I'd say that probably the best thing that any entrepreneur can do when they're, um, you know, when they're starting their business is welcoming mistakes, you know, Mm -hmm. because mistakes are the things that you, you know, that you do that help you learn and grow. And so, I mean, using those mistakes to leverage yourself into a better position, I would say is the number one sort of piece of advice that I can give to entrepreneurs. It's like mess up mess that stuff up and get back in there and learn from what you did. Um, but as far how as many just like, times, how many times did you mess up growing, starting your company? I'm sure it was a million <laughs> times, right? It's pretty typical. It, it is typical. And, and what's interesting is, you know, I'll have people, you know, talk to me and they'll be like, Oh my God, you just, everything you touch turns to gold. And I'm like, yeah, but that's how it looks. But, Mm-hmm. What about all the times of everything that I touched turned to dog crap? You know? Right. And I have made way more dog crap than I've made gold. Um, right, right. I think just everybody, actually... oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think everybody knows that the, you know, oh yeah, you've got to mistakes to learn. But I think what's undervalued with that mm-hmm. is that people just don't realize how many mistakes you actually make before you get that success. Oh yeah. I mean, I make mistakes every day, so (laughs) I'm still making mistakes. And you know, the the difference between, you know, myself 20 years ago and myself now is that 20 years ago, I used to beat the hell out of myself if I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Um, now I just look at the mistake, see how I can course correct it. Um, you know, assess what I learned from it and then move forward. And I also, you know, push, push that with my leadership team. It's like nobody in my company has ever, you know, has ever been fired for making a mistake, you know, and right. it's the people that are, aren't making the mistakes are the ones that, you know, that I get concerned about, because if you're not pushing the edge, you know, if you're not pushing the edge of your ability, then, you know, you're not growing. And, you know, right. I think the biggest part of it is like, when you mess up, you grow. And right. I mean, if you have a growth, 
you know, like a growth um, mindset. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people will take failure and be like, oh, my God, it's just it. I'm done. Um, you know, it takes uh, it takes some big cojones to be, you know, to be an entrepreneur. Like, you know, you don't have a steady paycheck in the beginning. You know, you right. don't have health insurance in the beginning. You don't, you know, you're a one man show. And a lot of times you don't even have anybody working for you. You're just doing everything yourself and bootstrapping it. So, I mean, it's a lonely, you know, it's a lonely way to start, but it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, you can, you can join organizations that support, you know, uh, budding entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And I would suggest that you do that. Um, Sounds but like I would a great also, way to keep keep yourself motivated to keep going forward too. Cause I think a lot of people, they feel lonely and then it's mm -hmm. like, Oh man, you know, I, I'm just going to give up. This isn't going to work because it's mm -hmm. not catching on as fast as you would hope it would have. Right. Well, I also think that, you know, plan your work and work your plan. Um, mm -hmm. I think that if you don't have a plan, um, you're not, it's, you know, you're, you're not going to have a navigation system and that's as crazy as getting in a boat and saying, okay, where am I going? And not having, you know, not right. having your course set. So, I mean, I'm huge on, on writing goals down. So I write my goals down, um, you know, set an intention and, mm -hmm. you know, sort of describe the perfect outcome that I want and then create an action plan around that. And I think that, right that action plan is what drives you there. So you make a, a very detailed action plan with, you know, quantifiable steps, meaning I will get step A done by X, Y, Z date. Um, and you just follow your action plan. And the best thing to do is to let go of the outcome, right? You let, you let go of the attachment to your outcome and you just follow your action plan and then see where it takes you every 30 days. And if you find that your action plan is taking you to some favorable outcomes that you like, great, stick with your action right. plan. If you find that it's not delivering the outcomes that, you, that you're looking for, then sit down, reassess, and tweak your action plan to get you where you want to be. And if you still aren't getting where you want to be, it might be a good time to take a look at you know, the outcome that you wanted. Is it realistic? Uh -huh. Is it something that you really want? Um, but you can't, you know, you can't really get that stuff done unless you write it down, you know, and a goal writ not written down is, is basically just a good intention. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that's some solid, great advice as far as trying to keep business owners motivated. But what about when you're staffing or even right now with your staff, mm -hmm. how do you keep your team motivated, especially when things are rough? I mean, right now, I don't know if you've heard this, but there's this uh, little virus going around <laughs> and this global pandemic. How do you keep people motivated when, you know, could have dark days or layoffs mm -hmm. and stuff like that? I, I'd mm -hmm. love to hear your advice. Well, uh, we're, we're an essential business, you know, cause we manufacture right. food. So we didn't, we didn't have to shelter in place. There was about a 30 day period where we had all of our administrative staff and sales staff, uh, staying at home and working mm -hmm. from home. And it was maybe a month and a half into that. I had like a rebellion on my hands, you know, people were like, Hey, I want to get back in the office, you know? And that's where I saw that, that my staff had like this, this ownership, you know, like right. they felt like they had taken, it felt like they had taken ownership in the company. And then also mm -hmm. a sense of community, you know, that, yeah. that this company is, is a tribe. It's like a, a community of people that all work together. And I think that if you can build that environment, 
you know, for your, you know, for your, your staff. I mean, because the thing is, if things are collaborative, you know, and every person at the company has a voice, um, that's where you're going to get buy-in. And if they've got buy-in in your company or they feel like they've taken emotional ownership in your company, they're going to want to be at work. And if they right. want to be at work, when they run into their friends and their friends are like, oh my God, you worked until seven o'clock. And it's like, it didn't even okay. feel like seven o'clock. And then their right. friends are like, hey, can, you know, are there any openings? And, you know, we tell them, no, there's no openings. <laughs> not for <funny>. you <laughs> yeah yeah not, and it's the same thing here i mean having that that buy-in i manage my staff i mm -hmm. i'm with vision 33 i run the whole northeast mm -hmm. and i do a lot of the same thing i i think it comes around you know the company culture mm -hmm. organizational goals stuff like that and mm -hmm. just having your team focused on hitting those same goals, because if we hit those goals, it obviously benefits them as well, too. And yeah. that, that's been one of our strengths. Yeah. And I mean, if you also build a comp plan around it, you know, like yeah. it, it, I always try to have sort of an uh, incentive based comp plans with every mm -hmm. every person that's on my team, like all the way from production, like if they produce a certain amount or they go X amount of days without any injuries or without any days off or anything like that. Um, you know, there's it, it, all the way up to like in accounting, like if you save us X, Y, Z money, or if you find a way to streamline our supply chain or something like that, there's always these incentives that are built in for people. Right. They're their gold rings, if you will, like, Hey, mm -hmm. you know what? Well, I'm going to get this gold ring. I'm going to save the company some money. And I I've seen other people and they, they don't have that. They're just sort of like, yeah, right. get in here and work. And, you know, the beatings are going to continue until your attitude <laughs> changes. And it that just doesn't work. But if you incentivize somebody and, you know, and give them a goal to reach, uh, mm -hmm. you can, you'll get some beasts on your staff. Definitely. 100% agree with that. So what are some of the key habits and mindset needed to really be a successful entrepreneur then? Um. I like to think of it as putting my oxygen mask on, you know, okay. and so, you know, like when you're on a plane and they tell you to put your oxygen mask on because yep. you're not going to be able to help anybody unless, mm -hmm. unless you've helped yourself first. And right. so that's why the mornings are so important to me. So the morning to me, I, I, it is my opportunity to sort of set the tone for how I'm going to make that day my masterpiece. And right. I'm a huge believer in journaling. And so one of the first things I do in the morning is get a cup of coffee, crack open that journal. Um, I read from the Daily Stoic, Ryan Holiday's book, which just kind of keeps me focused, um, mm -hmm. you know, on mortality and, you know, and, and living in the, in the present moment. And then, you know, I journal an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper from top to bottom. Um, wow. then I hit, then I hit the gym and, you know, I wrap it up with a meditation and that really sets the tone. So I've got my mindset, you know, headed in a positive direction. I feel recharged. I feel relaxed. The meditation is rejuvenating. I get to work and, you know, and then we start hitting home runs. Yeah, no, that's great. And I'm knowing, I'm. I'm noticing a recurring theme with you. Uh, it seems like you like the journal and write a lot. I, I think that probably explains this book here that's over here. 
<laughs> pretty much. I, I, I would say, I mean, hopefully it's a good habit. I would actually call it more of an addiction because if I went a day without journaling, I would, I'd feel edgy. I would feel like yeah. there's a lot of stuff inside my head that I need to just get out of it. Cause I don't want to carry it mm -hmm. with me. And if I can put it on paper, if I put it on paper, then it gets out of my head and it clears, it clears a space for the things that I think are going to be productive for that day. So and that's important. That that that's oh. actually a really important tidbit right there because a lot of people, myself included, it's like, oh my god, I have so many things in my head. How mm -hmm. do you get that stuff out? For you, it's journaling. To me, I use Evernote and Type because I'm mm -hmm. not a fan of handwritten notes anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I think that's an important as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur, manager, director, executive. Uh, if you don't get that stuff out, it's probably going to eat you up, chew you up inside. You're going to lose sleep over it, and you're not going to be most. You're not going to be very productive. You're going to be wondering more, contemplating more what you have to do instead of just getting it out in some format, listing it out, and then just attacking it one by one. Uh, absolutely, and and really, the journaling. I mean, the journaling is the way for me to get all the garbage out. And I'm a big user of Evernote as well. And Evernote is where I've got my to-do list. And it's mm -hmm. like, this is what I'm going to get done today. And, you know, it's all very detailed and quantifiable. So um, I use the two in tandem. I would say that the, that the journal is more of a, a spiritual mental journey. And, okay. the, and the Evernote is more of the, you know, reality, you know, um, getting crap done version of it. And right, so right. I use all of those in tandem. Well, either way, I am honored to have been in your version of Evernote today for your to-do list. So it all works in my book. <laughs> so awesome. let's let's pivot a little bit to the business of food itself. I think you've okay. given a great, great, great perspective on being an entrepreneur, but I do want to cover more about your subject matter okay. expertise areas. Mm -hmm. uh, let's get into the... FDA stuff, okay? Because okay. that's got to be challenging. Mm -hmm. I mean, even right now with the virus, you see all the stuff with the FDA involved and everything's heavily regulated with a lot of that stuff. Hmm. So their position on added sugars, mm -hmm. okay? Like, tell us a little bit about that and why nutrition labels are just so darn confusing. Right. Uh, that that's actually supposed to change. So they had new guidelines set forth. Uh, okay. The FDA did for for better sort of nutritional facts panels. And then with the virus and, and other stuff that got pushed down the road. So it was supposed to be 2018. It got pushed to 2020. And now mm -hmm. I think it's pushed out to two, uh, 2022 to 2024. So wow. They are they are confusing, and I think that the biggest the biggest call out um, I think the biggest call out in the nutritional facts panel that's going to help consumers is added sugars. So, right. like when you buy some food and you see that you know processed food, and you look at the can and it's like, okay, so there's there's twenty eight grams of sugar and twelve grams of added sugar. You'd want to take a look at the ingredient statement, and so the ingredient statement would probably say fruit sugar, high fructose corn syrup. So the fruit's not going to really be counted as an added sugar, but definitely the the high fructose corn syrup and mm -hmm. sugar will be. So they're going to be easier to sort of identify, but 
the FDA, interestingly enough, like a lot of people would think that the FDA has got a big bite and the FDA doesn't. <laughs> so wow. there's, there's so much crap that goes on in the food industry that it's like, uh-huh. it kind of is a little mind boggling. And so there is this sort of necessary evil that, that safeguards us. And it's, it's basically troll lawyers. Lawyers that troll right. people's nu- nutritional facts panels, they troll their ingredient statements, they cro- troll their label claims to file class action lawsuits. And well, so, here I can back that up right now yeah. as far as the trolls and the way the lobbyists, people like that, mm-hmm. are. Because if you Google, is pizza a vegetable? It is actually classified as a vegetable because of the amount of tomato sauce in it. That's you know interesting. That? I yes, I, I, I saw a meme on it. I'm like, there's no way that can be true. And I Googled it. And right there in the info block on Google, it came up with it. I think that was for the school lunch program. Because yeah, when they were possibly. designing out the school lunch program, they're like, okay, so they have to have a certain amount of carbohydrates, vegetables, proteins, and stuff like that. And so I think that's when they classified pizza as a as a vegetable. Yeah, that's... That sounds about right what I've read. It's been a couple of weeks, but still, I mean, I think that's just crazy. And I, I think to me, it goes to the heart of what you're explaining, but in uh, another route. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and those things probably won't change because the FDA steps in. They'll probably change when there's a lawyer and they file a class action lawsuit that says, hey, you know what, uh, you're responsible for, you know, childhood uh, obesity and diabetes, and now we're going to sue you to change your your um, menus. And I mean, right. it's a crappy way to do it because I've had customers and clients get sued before, um, and the FDA never came down on them. It was these, it was the lawyers, you know, that troll, you know, nutritional facts panels and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. that's where I think there's most risk. Cause I, when I do a formulation for somebody and they're like, well, do you think we could just put this under, you know, under a natural flavor? And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. it's like always lean into doing what's right because the FDA is not going to be the one that gets you. It's going to be that lawyer that looks mm-hmm. at your label and says, oh, hey, you have this natural flavor mislabeled. Um, so we're going to sue you on behalf of an unnamed client. We'll start at a couple million dollars. And then if you want to settle, we can go from there. That's the stuff. That's the stuff that keeps you from cutting corners. So while we're talking about all this mumble jumble, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, I don't know, I guess myths out there about something Mm -hmm. like Stevia versus, Mm -hmm. Yeah, Splenda versus mm-hmm. other types of artificial sweeteners. I mean, mm-hmm. can you explain to some people on a high level, like what those differences are? Sure. I, I mean, when you look at Splenda, like Spl- the, the sweet constituent in Splenda is called sucralose. And right. sucralose is a function of a chlorinated sugar molecule. So basically, they take a sh- sugar molecule and inject chlorine into it. And it check- changes the molecular structure so your body is unable to metabolize it. Um, and aspartame, I mean, aspartame is, uh, is derived from phenylalanine, which is an amino acid. So basically it's a chemically altered amino acid, um, Mm -hmm. that is actually metabolized by your brain. So if you are a person who suffers from PKU, which is phenylketonuria, uh, 
consuming aspartame can actually put you into a coma um, wow. because you're it because it's such a modified phenylalanine. So a lot of times I on podcasts I get asked like, well, so what happens when you have aspartame or sucralose? It does it affect your blood sugar levels? Will it knock you out of keto? And the answer to that is it will. And wow. and even though people don't think it will, what it is is a brain chemistry thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's since it doesn't exist in nature, right? So all these chemically, all of these chemically altered molecules, they don't exist in nature. So when your body, when you consume it, your body's unsure what to do with it. It's like, okay, so this tastes sweet. I think it's sugar, but it doesn't have the molecular structure of sugar, but we're going to act like it's sugar. So we're going to release a little bit of insulin and we're going to, you know, make sure that the body is functioning, you know, as it would if you just had sugar. So you have the benefit of calorie abatement, right? So if you're drinking right. a diet Coke, you're not getting all of those calories and you're not getting all of those sugars, but your body still reacts in a metabolic fashion as though it had sugar. Wow. Um, when you look at naturally occurring sweeteners like stevia, the, the sweet constituent in stevia is our, it's called stevioglycosides and, and glycosides are actually, they're sweet molecules that plants create. So I can give you an example. If you're out in a field or something like that, you pick up a blade of grass, you chew on the end of it. And it's like, wow, you know what? That's a little sweet. Those are, that's a sample of glycosides. And those are naturally occurring sweeteners or naturally occurring sweetness that occurs in nature. So when you go to extract that and you create a concentrated powder from it that you can use to replace sugar, your body recognizes it. It's like, oh, hey, mm-hmm. this is a glycoside. This is, I, I know what this is. I'm not going to raise blood sugar levels. I'm not going to drop the ketones down. It doesn't get metabolized by the liver. We're just going to let this pass through and not metabolize it because we don't have a way to metabolize it. That is the two differences. And and I've had do- I've had many conversations with doctors that are like, that's not correct. And I'm like, it is 100% correct. I've actually done the research myself and with other people where we've consumed a, a can of Diet Coke, checked ketones and blood sugar levels, and it elevated them. And so wow. it's not at the level if you had a regular Coke. Okay. So I'm not right. saying, hey, just drink regular Coke because it's better for you. Neither one is better for you. You get the calorie abatement, you get the less sugar, that's fine, but you still, your body still reacts in a metabolic fashion. Wow. No, that totally makes sense. And it just amazes me how complex the body is. Oh, it's amazing. It's like, particularly like since you're getting into keto, right? Yeah. And have done keto, then you understand the liver. Like the liver is one of these things that it's just like, who the hell invented the liver because the liver is such a flexible and amazing like machine like you mm-hmm. put fat in and it makes ketones you know yeah. you put fructose in it and it creates fat and you know that's like a lot of people you know that eat a ton of fruit fruit juice and stuff and um i mean that's like the the worst thing you could do if you're trying to lose weight like any kind of fructose because you're your body doesn't use it for energy. It doesn't get metabolized. Your body, your, your liver immediately turns, you know, turns fructose sugars into lipids and stores it. Right. And, and like, I can give you an example of that. Like when you look at bears, right? So bears put on this crazy amount of weight before winter and oh, yeah. most of the stuff that they're eating is rotten fruit. 
and rotten fruit has the highest concentration of fructose in it. So they're eating all this wow. rotten food and, and it goes right to, right to their fat stores. And that's what puts them in hibernation. So if you need to hibernate, um, I invite you to eat a lot of fruit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe, uh, want to hibernate the 2022 <laughs> at this point. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh I guess we'll just wrap up with one major final question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, let's just get into as far as the guy gone keto stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, why have you come out with that line? What is this supposed to achieve compared to Icon Food Sites? Well, um, so the, I, I'm the CEO of Icon Foods and the head, head okay. food scientist here. That's my main job, and that's how I support my employees. The guy gone right. keto thing, I would say it's my side hustle or my alter ego. So that's my <laughs> playground, and that's what keeps me from not losing my mind because, I mean, I, I don't really enjoy being a CEO because it doesn't really align right. with my, you know, with my entrepreneurial side. Right. Cause I always mm-hmm. feel like I have to be creating things. You know, I don't right. like managing things. I like creating things. So the guy gone keto line is really my side hustle and it's where I get creative, you know, like, Hey, let's make ketchup. Right. Well, that ketchup's good. I wonder how garlic spicy garlic ketchup will be. And yeah. then the other day I'm like eating a salad and there was some honey mustard dressing and I'm like, I can make this like this honey mustard dressing doesn't need to be like loaded with sugar. And then it must've been a couple months ago. Um, I had a, a customer reach out to me and they're like, Hey, we have cocktail mixes and they have too much sugar. And that's when I just went down this like rabbit hole of like, Oh, the guy gone keto guy gone off the wagon. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> cocktail cocktail mixers. And so we'll be seeing those sometime in mid November. And I mean, we've got a keto-friendly margarita. We've got keto-friendly pina colada, lemon drop, oh, Cosmos. I can't wait. I, I can't stop now. I'm just like, that, oh, wait, that's I'm going to make this. That's been one of my biggest problems with, mm-hmm. you know, keto low-carb. It's like, okay, right. well, I don't drink much. But yeah. when I go out to drink, it's like mm-hmm. if I want a margarita, my wife's Peruvian, so we do yeah. Pisco Sours. And it's oh, yeah. like wow, you have to use the simple uh, syrup in there. And I have avoided so much sugars. Like actually a sugary drink, like a Pisco Mm -hmm. sour will crash me. I will crash. I will fall asleep. It's like I'm comatose. And it's been problematic for me. So getting something out there like a low carb, keto, Mm -hmm. uh, paleo, whatever um, alternative, I think is really, really awesome. Especially if it tastes good. They're amazing. So I, I'm super surprised by it. And I, I also had like another huge customer want to take them and put them in stores and stuff like that, which is cool. They're doing it under another label. I'm good with that. But those cocktail, those cocktail syrups were like a, it was just so, so much fun for me because it's like, oh man, if I can have a margarita at night or if I can have like a pina colada, like sometimes you just feel like having a pina colada and then, you know, you're not going to be taking in all that sugar. So sunrise. Yep. All of them. So (laughs) when, when we get them, we, I will send you a case of them and you can get your store on. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, my wife would be happy if you include, well, I guess you don't really need, do you have like a simple sugar type mix that you're, that yep. you'd have up? Yep. That, simple that syrup. That would be important for the piss. Yeah. That, that Sour would be. Sour mix. 
Yeah, I got for mango, pisco sour. Mango, mango Ritos, uh, strawberry Ritos, Ritos, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, a, I just haven't stopped. Too legit. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> you are a true food scientist. I love it. Thank food you. hacker, uh, biohacker, I think it is, right? Yeah, I'll take either. <laughs> okay, okay. There you go. Whatever, just hacker. There you go. Why don't you tell us about your book and mm. also how people can get in touch with you? Okay, well, uh, if you want to go on Amazon and buy my book, I invite you to do it. Guy Gone Keto. Um, it's not a book that's filled with recipes or, I mean, even a ton of keto science. It's more how to make a lifestyle shift because mm -hmm. keto doesn't work if you do it as a diet, okay? Because diets are temporary. And nobody likes being on a diet. So this, this is a path to be able to make a lifestyle change and to be able to adopt keto as a lifestyle. Um, yeah. And so you can find that on Amazon or if you just go to guygonketo.com, if you pick up a book off of the website, I'll autograph it for you. And then all of our condiments on, are on there. We've got a blog, you know, that talks about the new stuff that we're creating. So, and then you can hit me up on any of the socials at guygonketo.com. Oh, perfect. Tom, thank you so much for coming out here. It's such a pleasure to have you here. You have such an amazing story and two amazing business lines. It's incredible. Well, thank you so much, David. I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, um, I think what you do is super important. So just keep crushing it. Yeah, I want to keep chugging away. Thank you again, Tom. Cheers. You're welcome. Wow. Such an amazing interview with Tom, right? Seriously, I love that. It. it was so interesting to speak with somebody that has had the level of success that he has had in business. Uh, first, though, before we talk about the summary of the interview with him. If you found this episode, this interview that we had with Tom helpful, do me a favor, smash that subscribe button. Doesn't matter if you're watching on YouTube or you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're at, smash that subscribe button. And, you know, if you really want to help us, do me a favor, okay? Share this video out to your network on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter, so that we can continue to grow this amazing community and really help others see the light of how to break through barriers that are preventing them from growing. So let's get back to Tom. This was such an incredible discussion. So many points that I could really take away from the discussion. Tom runs two very successful businesses. He is the perfect example of loving your work. I'm sure he is motivated by success and money. Most people are to a degree. You know, you have to be able to support financially what you love. And I think as long as the companies maintain itself, which it looks like they definitely will, Tom is doing this business for his love and passion of food and helping people live healthier lives. He's doing this all for the right reasons. And that's really amazing. As the saying goes, you know, do what you love. Don't be stuck in a career that is passionless, okay? You need to have that passion, that love, that spark, that twinkle in your eyes, all that good stuff so that you can follow your heart and find your path. And Tom has definitely found his path and is extremely successful because of the passion 
he has for his work. What was his number one advice for all entrepreneurs? We've heard it time, time again. You've heard it throughout your whole life. It's on nearly every episode of the show at some point. But again, we just got to reiterate, mess up and learn from what you did wrong. As he said, he made way more dog crap than he has turned stuff to gold. But it was making that dog crap that really allowed him to have the insight to make the moves in life that eventually allowed him to excel. Congrats to Tom. His Gaigon Keto and Staviva, I mean, they're amazing. They are gold, and he was able to build that because of all the times that he messed up and was able to learn from them. Remember, mistakes are only mistakes if you don't learn from what you did wrong. I'd also personally take that a step further and learn from what you did good as well, too. That is just as important. You need to know what works and what doesn't work, and identifying both of them will allow you to continue to do the good things and stop doing the bad things. So being very aware of both sides of the plate is really going to allow you all to achieve to the next level. So lastly, I've got to to point it out, Tom's book and Tom's products are amazing. I'll link to his book in the description on YouTube or on the audio version of this podcast. And come on, you've got to check out his sauces. I tell you what, for Thanksgiving leftovers, I tried some of his ketchup and it was amazing. It tasted just like the sugar-based alternatives. So all I gotta say is check it out and I think you'll be surprised yourself. So do you want to be a guest in this show? You got a good business story to tell about how your business pivoted during quarantine? Shoot me an email, david at sharkbitebiz.com. Once again, I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz, and we'll see you all next episode. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 